What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of Be Shaved Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Friday, September 23rd, 2022. And finally, at long last tonight, we get the opportunity to break down a Cardinals winner as St. Louis avoided ever so narrowly the sweep out in San Diego this week, defeating the Padres on Thursday, 5-4. to four at Petco Park Thursday afternoon. Welcome into the show where we get to talk today about the Cardinals scoring earned runs, which had not been a thing that we could have discussed on the podcast since all the way back on Saturday, September 17th. Holy smokes, it's been a ride this week, and we've had a couple of episodes, not a ton, and I got to be honest, it felt like after some of those games, I thought, well, if I do a podcast tonight, I'd be reiterating the exact same things we said yesterday. So we took a couple of days off over the past five or six, and now we're back at it as the Cardinals were able to finally get something going offensively. We'll talk about the streak, how it ended, and there was actually a couple of streaks. You can talk about the streak of 31 consecutive innings without a run scored at all. Anything? Bueller? Yeah, that was pretty bad. But it was even worse than that if you count the consecutive innings without an earned run. As the Cardinals, as I mentioned, didn't have an earned run since the middle of the game on the 17th against the Reds, the third inning of that game. So they went five more innings on the 17th, and that was game one on September 17th. Game two, of course, was the 1-0 winner that took 11 innings, and that was a run scored, but it was not an earned run because... The ghost runner, the Manfred man, was placed on second base, and so the Cardinals got the benefit of that. So without that, it could have potentially been even a longer streak, scoreless streak, than it was. The 31-inning scoreless streak, it was wrapped up mercifully on Thursday afternoon as the Cardinals got things going. We'll talk about how they got the win, a couple of standout offensive performances, really just two big swings providing the scoring for the Cardinals In this one, we'll update you on how things are going up and down the lineup with mention of some Albert Pujols talk. He's still stuck on 698, but even despite that, over the past few days when the Cardinals offense has been struggling, Albert has been one of the hitters that you can rely upon to at least give you a decent at-bat. So we'll make mention of him and go up and down the lineup. I want to talk about some of the other guys that have been in there, been considered regulars, and where I might differ on the way that Ollie Marmel has gone about a couple of different things. Because with the team slumping so much offensively, I feel like the Cardinals have gotten sort of set in their ways about who's going to play regularly and who's maybe not. And there's at least one guy that I would like to see, unless I'm missing something and it's injury-related or something to that effect, there's at least one guy that I think needs to be in the lineup every single day without question and it hasn't really been the case. It wasn't the case today when the player in question got into the game, but he wasn't in there at the beginning, entered later on as a, a pinch hitter and stayed in the ball game. So I want to make mention of at least one player that I want to stump for in terms of getting him into the lineup every day between now and the end of the regular season. And we'll also talk about the pitching factor from this game. Jack Flaherty, maybe a step forward for him. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly from, from Jack's outing. But all in all, it was a an improvement, I think, over what we've been seeing from him recently. So all that more coming up 
on this edition of B-Shape Daily. But I want to take a quick moment before we get into the content of the show to remind you guys to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for the iPhone users among us. Make sure you're subscribed. And I will say on Apple Podcasts, I noticed the reviews, the counter has gone up by three since I last shouted out asking you guys to review the podcast. So thank you if you have done so. And if you haven't done so, now's your chance. And now you know it's it's a proven fact that I do know the review total. And so it makes me happy when it goes up. So thank you guys for doing that and uh, being subscribed to the show so that you never miss anything as we get a little bit closer to October. The division is winding down. The Cardinals' magic number is now down to five. And the Brewers aren't exactly helping out with that. Colton Long had three home runs today, by the way, for the Brewers. And I'm kicking myself. They beat the Reds 5-1 to one on Thursday. I am absolutely kicking myself as I left Colton Long on my fantasy bench in the playoffs. Ouch. I can explain how that happened and how I did benefit from at least one notable home run on that fantasy lineup today. But all that's coming up on the show. Real quick, though, before we do jump right in, want to make sure I let you know how you can support the show. It's by going to patreon.com slash bshafer12 and consider becoming a patron on a monthly basis. Check that out, patreon.com slash bshafer12. If you're looking for ways to support the show, that is the best way to do it. But with that all out of the way, let's go ahead and hop right into the content today where we're talking about a Cardinals 5-4 to win over the San Diego Padres out west Petco Park on Thursday afternoon. The Cardinals, obviously, in the first two games of this series, they didn't score any runs at all, and so not too much of a threat in either of those games, but they were at the ballpark on Thursday hoping to avoid the sweep, and they were able to do so thanks to some contributions offensively from Lars Newtbar, who got the scoring going in the fifth inning. It was 31 innings in a row without a run to speak of, and 47 without an earned run, which spans a ridiculous number of games for the Cardinals. I mentioned it, game one on Saturday, you know, game two on Saturday, no earned runs, game three, and by the way, third inning of that first game Saturday. The third game, that Sunday game, they didn't score, didn't score on Tuesday, didn't score on Wednesday. Finally, they score in the fifth inning here on Thursday with a home run by Lars Newtbark. Good to see from him. He got the start in center field in this game and back down there at the bottom of the lineup, it's almost like he's kind of reverting back to where things were for him a whole month and a half, two months ago when he started to get things going on the season down at the bottom of the order. And then the Cardinals eventually trusted him to, to move up into some more prominent spots in the order. Now that he's been struggling, he's sort of relegated back to the bottom, but I think he can be an effective player for the Cardinals in that nine spot. And he had a good game today. One for two, a couple of runs scored because he also walked twice. So on base three times. His OPS for the season is 777. Even with the struggles that he's had of late, I feel like it doesn't get maybe appreciated enough the kind of year that he's had because he's a good defender and he can do a little bit of everything in terms of defensively. He can play well. He can throw the ball. He can catch it. He can uh, run one down in the gap. He's been really good about that when he plays right field. He's been versatile in that they've put him in center field at times. It's where he got the start in today's game. He's done a little bit of everything. It's just been the offense has declined over the past month or so for Newt Barr. But it's kind of crazy. Like, yeah, the batting average, like you can look last 30 games, 172 is his batting average, and that doesn't really play. But over the last 30 games, which is about a month, maybe a little more than a month span, still six home runs in his strikeout-to-walk ratio, 19 strikeouts, 15 walks, so he's almost still one-to-one, 
in terms of strikeout to walk, which is it's pretty good for a hitter to be in that position. And with a little bit of pop, a little bit of on base because of those walks, 291 on base. This is, again, over his last 30 days, or 30 games, I should say. And he's slugging 414. So even as rough as that has kind of been, that stretch for him, that's still an OPS north of 700 over the last 30 games. And, I mean, you could look up and down the Cardinals lineup and find guys that don't have that for a full season. Paul Young, 547 OPS for the full season. Tommy Edmond has had... Streaks of hot and cold. He's on a little bit more of a cold spell right over the last few days, but who hasn't been for the Cardinals? 724 is his OPS. So that's not drastically different from what Newpar has done over the past 30 days where we have classified him as having struggled during that time period. And I keep saying days. Last 30 games is where I'm getting these statistics from MLB.com for Newpar. That's a quick math, 705 OPS. So... I mean, that's not great. Dickerson, Corey Dickerson, for full season, 707 is his OPS. Dylan Carlson, 695. Kisner, 581. You kind of get the picture. So I'm not really here to knock Lars Newpar, even though it's been a struggle recently. I still would have him in the lineup. He's not the guy that I'm saying has to be in the lineup every day, regardless, no matter what. But I do think, based on the math, you're going to find that he's going to be in there. I'm going to kind of roll through and talk about BFD, Brendan Donovan, with the big swing that he had that really put the Cardinals over the top in this one. Going to bring that up, and then I'm going to circle back to give you the name that I think just needs to be in the lineup every day, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And maybe they'll surprise you a little bit, but I think if I can have an opportunity to kind of walk through my thought process, it'll make sense. But how about Brendan Donovan? Grand slam in the seventh inning, the first grand slam of his major league career, It's in a spot where the Cardinals really needed it. Jack Flaherty gave him a pretty good outing today. Six innings, three runs, only two of them earned. Nine strikeouts. That's notable for Jack Flaherty because that tells you he's kind of returning to the high-end, elite-caliber stuff that he's capable of, of displaying. I'll give you his strikeout totals from his outings in the major leagues this season prior to today, and it's evident the difference. Three, one, two, and then he went back on the injured list. That was back in June, his numbers. September 5th, he returns. Six strikeouts, zero at Pittsburgh on the 10th. Five strikeouts on the 16th against Cincinnati. And then today, a big step forward in this regard with nine strikeouts for Flaherty. I'm not saying he was entirely consistent. He still gave up a home run. He had four walks that he allowed in the outing to go with four hits. So more base runners than you'd like to see. But nine strikeouts, that is a step in the right direction. He got through six innings, which is at least uh, another step that you appreciate for the consistency uh, of the workload because this was the first game in which he was able to get deeper than five in four tries over the month of September. So that's significant as well to get through six, 99 pitches. I I think it's a step forward for Flaherty. Does it mean he's instantly in my rotation for the playoffs? No, absolutely not. But again, you're sitting here on now the 23rd of September. He's going to have probably two more starts before the end of the regular season, I could absolutely see a world in which I have more confidence in Flaherty two starts from now based on building from what he was able to do today. The four walks are really the only thing that stand out to me as what you don't want to see. It still indicates a little bit too much of the nibbling. And if you're striking nine guys out, if you're Jack Flaherty, it's like obviously he's got the stuff, but it's been difficult for him, I think, to trust his stuff in a lot of ways. And so if that's really going to return to where he can have that Mamba mentality that he talks about and, and always is seeking, 
I think he can get himself into a good spot for this Cardinals team to really be able to help not only for the remainder of the season as they wrap up the NL Central Championship, which they are now very much primed to be able to lock down. I'll give you a standings update as well before we get out of here. But I think, too, in the playoffs, like that's where he wants to be. Jack Flaherty wants to have that opportunity to contribute in October. It's just maybe it's going to line up for him. That's the thing. Like Health-wise, it's been a tough year. Is it going to line up to where he's healthiest and has the mentality on the mound and has the physical ability to put it all together while baseball's still going on and, and meaningful baseball at that? I think we're getting to that point with Flaherty. It was nice to see from him. But the Cardinals still don't get this win if Brendan Donovan, BFD, does not do what he does in the seventh inning with the Grand Slam. That was a huge spot in the game. Cardinals trailing 3-1 to one, even after the Newt Bar home run in the fifth. They cough up that run in the bottom of the fifth to make it 3-1. to one, And you feel like it's just going to be one of those sleepy games once again where the Cardinals, eh, at least they got the home run. They can say they ended the streak, but gosh, don't we need to be a little bit concerned about the fact that this team is getting swept and they're not scoring but one run in the process over three games. Well, Brendan Donovan made sure that was not the case with the Grand Slam making it 5-3 to three Cardinals and everybody could kind of exhale a little bit until... You realize you have to actually finish the game. And Ryan Helsley was tasked with doing exactly that, but kind of hit a bit, bit of a bump in the road. Like, okay, so the Cardinals haven't needed a lot of Helsley recently. So you figure maybe he could go two innings if they if they get him an efficient eighth. They bring him out for the eighth. Typically, it's been Helsley in the ninth. So two-run lead in the eighth, but he gives up that home run. And he also walked a batter, so not super efficient in the eighth inning for Ryan Helsley in that he ended up throwing more pitches than you probably could have justified using him and then bringing him back out for the ninth. 21 pitches, 14 strikes for Helsley in the eighth inning. But he did do something that I don't think he had done his entire career to this point, unless I had missed it previously. 104 on the gun for Ryan Helsley in terms of velocity out of the out of the shoot there. 104 miles per hour on the fastball. I've seen 103.1. I've seen things like that from Ryan Helsley earlier this season. You think of Jordan Hicks as the guy with the flamethrower attached to his right shoulder. Helsley's got it too. Hells Bell's having a really tremendous season. Gives up a home run. I think it was the sixth that he allowed all year. Ends up just throwing that one inning in the eighth. But the the 1.32 ERA is still very sterling for Ryan Helsley. And 104, it's pretty impressive. And when you've got Jordan Hicks right now, he's back on the injured list. He's got neck spasms. His arm tired. Like it, it, the pitchers on this team right now just seem to be kind of dealing with some things as we get through it. Like we talked on the last episode about Wainwright. He had talked about coming out of the dead arm period. And then he had another game where after it in San Diego, he's talking about maybe still kind of experiencing some fatigue with his arm. And then Ryan Helsley has the, uh, not Ryan Helsley, pardon me, Jordan Hicks has the arm fatigue situation that the team identified a few days ago and putting him on the injured list that was retroactive to the 15th hadn't seen him for a little bit before him going on that IL so hopefully you get Jordan Hicks back before the end of the season he'll be able to return about the end of the month the 30th or so of September and that's sort of what you're looking at but yeah I mean with Ryan Helsley being able to take up the mantle for the velocity in the bullpen you feel good about that but he wasn't able to throw the ninth inning so who comes in Giovanni Gallegos his 14th save of the season I don't think Gio gets enough credit in the context of this Cardinals bullpen for what he's really been able to do this year because I think people remember more so the down times than they do the positives from Gio. 
And sure, he's a relief pitcher. Everybody in, in a bullpen is going to eventually get roughed up one time or another. And when you string a few together, it's almost like you kind of get written off in the, the mind of the fan base for a while. But he doesn't really deserve that. He's been good and steady pretty much for the majority of the season. You look over his last 30 games, 3.13 ERA. Last 15, 2.40. Been a little rougher over his last seven. Has been given up a couple of runs here and there. 4.26 ERA in his last seven games pitched. But I still believe when push comes to shove, Giovanni Gallegos is going to be a reliable reliever for the Cardinals in the playoffs. Right there along with Brian Helsley. And uh, it's a good one-two punch to have at the back end of games. Really, only, the only question is going to be how many days in a row, how often are you going to be able to rely on both those guys? Like, the Cardinals have not really had the same workload concerns, at least in their actions, when it comes to Gallegos this season. Like, they've pretty much thrown him in back-to-backs. They don't really talk a lot about it. Like, he's been described as one of those pitchers that is just, he bounces back easier. His body seems to be more comfortable with that, whereas Ryan Helsley, who does throw harder, and so maybe that's part of it. And you think about Jordan Hicks always, I shouldn't say always, but often having injury concerns over the past few years, it's maybe connected, right? Like the harder you throw, the more stress you're putting on the body. You could see a world in which that's kind of related. So the Cardinals have been very careful with Ryan Helsley. And I, I think part of that has been Ryan Helsley admitting and knowing and communicating with the coaching staff to say, here's a day where my body's, I don't think it's a good idea for me to go. I'm not going to be able to give what we need us to have out of this spot in the, the bullpen. And there are other days where he says, yeah, I can do it. So I think that's really the main question is if you've got those two guys you trust, that's awesome. But how many more do you have behind him for the days that Hillsley's not going to be able to go in the playoffs? Hopefully it's a case where, yeah, they've been taking a little bit slower and ramping him throughout the season because they know that when it comes to October, that's not going to be uh, like it's not going to work. you you got to have him. But at the same time, if a guy can't go, a guy can't go. So it's going to be interesting to see the balancing act there when it comes to the bullpen and how they manage that and the usage in the playoffs. But you feel good about Hillsley and Gallegos. That's kind of the way I view it. Steven Matz, by the way, another scoreless inning of relief in this game for the Cardinals. Interesting to see maybe the way he could fit in as a, re- a lefty reliever down the stretch. Like, I think he's got to be a guy that competes for a starting role next season or is maybe even quote-unquote gifted one and then kind of see how he goes from there as long as he remains healthy. He's in the rotation because you're paying him to be that guy for the next three years. Like, that was not a short contract they signed for Steven Matz. Year one has been pretty much a bust, but I will say this. Last week or so, he's had now a couple of relief appearances where it's been scoreless. So let me see a couple more of those before the end of the regular season. And and maybe that's a guy that ends up working himself into a role as a lefty weapon out of your bullpen just for the playoffs. Because, again, you, you got to ask the question about who else is going to be reliable in that group when you get to October. And there was a point in time when you thought that would have been Genesis Cabrera. Well, that just that flamed out. That's not the case anymore. And so maybe you're looking for some more help from the left side. Now, Stephen Matz could be an interesting candidate to provide that. Want to roll through the rest of the lineup and the, the way those guys performed from Thursday's game. We mentioned the grand slam for Donovan. He was one for four out of the number two spot with the granny, and he also reached base via walk. Edmund was up there at the leadoff spot. Just a walk to his credit in this game to go along with an 0 for 4. Paul Goldschmidt. It's still been a little bit of a struggle in the in the OPS department. We haven't seen a home run from him in a while. He's down to 1,003 for the OPS, but he did go two for four today. Arenado, a two for four as well. Those guys are still there as two of the top four players in OPS in the National League. 
Arnado slightly below 900 right now at an 899 OPS. You got Machado right at 900. Freddie Freeman's at 921. And then there's Paul Goldschmidt, 1003, 10.03. Still a far cry from where he was, but still way better than anybody else has been able to offer in the National League. And it's not in the American League. That would be a completely different story with the show that Aaron Judge is putting on on pretty much a nightly basis at this point. He's to 60 home runs, OPS of 1,125. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about this. I can dive into it a little bit deeper on a future episode if people request that I do so, but mostly we stick to Cardinals on B-Shape Daily. But the notion that, and again, I hate that I have to do this because I think Aaron Judge is fantastic. And like, if you get into the MVP conversation, I honestly, I somebody asked me today, you know, who do you really think should win the AL MVP? Because in the NL, it's goalie. Even with the way he's kind of slumped down the stretch, unless he really just completely farts for the next two weeks, and doesn't get anything done. His OPS is 950 by the end of it with Freddie Freeman rising and maybe hitting some homers, and you can look at some of the other categories as well. That's the only way Goldie loses it. So I don't think there's a lot to talk about in the NL. I hope that ends up being the case, but we'll see. Obviously, you got to wait till the votes come out. I don't know that we find that out until like after the World Series. So nevertheless, in time, we'll get it figured out. But in the American League, people are wondering, rightfully so, like Aaron Judge, 60 home runs. He's going to pass Maris for the American League record. Because remember, McGuire, Bonds, Sosa, all those guys did it in the National League. The American League has not seen that happen. There's just n- none of the guys on the junior circuit had ever done better than the Roger Maris, 61. So Judge has got a couple of weeks to get there. I'm sure he will. I think he'll get to 62. But they're excited about that, making a big deal out of that. And again, it's a very notable accomplishment but all these articles are being written about is this the best hitting season in baseball come on baseball reference is a free website guys i use it every day all you got to do is go to it google is a free website just google single season ops mob history you know where aaron judge would wind up about 60th in ops and ops isn't the end all be all i get that but it's a pretty good measure, and so I don't even need to look very much further. If you're 60th in OPS, I don't really need to, oh, okay, probably wasn't the best then. It's very good, wonderful, not the best. That's You're taking it a little too far. I get it, the argument that, well, if you throw out steroids and if you throw out uh, the guys that played a long, long time ago, it's like, sure, if you change the argument completely to what's being discussed, you can absolutely make sure that your argument looks really good. Okay. But if you didn't do those things, if you just had the parameters of like, is it the best hitting season or not, then no, it's not. But it is a very good hitting season. So that's all I want to do in terms of disparaging Aaron Judge because he is a menace. And I'll be very interested to see what happens to his free agency this offseason. Like, I can't imagine a world where the Yankees just don't bring him back. But off a season like this, there might just be a team that goes, hey, he, you, I mean, we're already really good. We sign that guy. How do we not win the World Series? Like, if the Dodgers should have a disappointment down the stretch in, in this October and they don't get there, what's to keep them from saying, all right, $500 million, lock it down? Because, I mean, they they print money over there. So I'll just be very curious to see how that goes. If you're the Yankees, though, the most, I mean, one of the most valuable franchises in sports, you've got all the money to dream of, there's no way you can let Aaron Judge walk. Not after a season like this. He's beloved in New York. So anyway... My my little sidetrack conversation. But yes, over in the National League, 
Paul Goldschmidt still at 10.03 for the OPS, the only guy in the NL above 1,000. I don't think there's a lot to talk about when it comes to MVP, but I will continue to keep you guys updated on it just because I know that the expectation all along has been Goldschmidt, but with his struggles recently, it, it is worth keeping an eye on to, to kind of determine how, well, how far ahead is he really? We'll be able to keep you posted on all that. Another thing we'll keep you posted on, the NL Central standings. The Cardinals at 88 and 63 have gotten one game closer with that magic number down to five now. The Brewers have been pretty strong as of late. They've been better than the Cardinals over the last 10, six of 10. Cardinals just five of 10, which again, for all the struggles the Cardinals have had, they've still won five of their last 10. So everybody just exhale a little bit. I know it's been rough. It's been hard to watch this team this week, but it's not going to have an impact when you get into early October. It's just not. That's still two weeks away. It's going to be fine. I really don't think it's going to be the end of the world that the Cardinals had in mid to late September a, a big scoring stretch where, yeah, like it's the worst stretch of scoreless baseball in Major League Baseball this season, 31 innings. Nobody, no other team is, has had a, a, stri- a streak that long. It's rough, but it's not the worst time to have it happen. Now, if we get to the end of the regular season and it's like prolonged into that length of time where they're still struggling, then we'll talk about it at that point and maybe have some viable concerns. But I would say as long as, like, this was an important win to get. Brendan Donovan to, to hit that grand slam and for the, the bullpen, Helsley and Gallegos to, to seal the deal. That was very important because you don't want to get swept by this team, by this San Diego team, and then get yourself into a situation where the Brewers feel like they've got hope because they're playing some pretty good baseball now all of a sudden, and the calendar's not their friend. So if you, anytime you're able to take a game like this one where it was certainly up in the air and you were down, you had to make a comeback, that's huge for just boosting the spirits to go, all right, yeah, it wasn't our best series. If you're the Cardinals, all right, we didn't score runs in the first two games. But to pull out and find a way to at least get one game in the series, stay seven and a half games ahead. I mean, the Brewers have just 12 games remaining on this season. The Cardinals have even fewer. They've got 11 left. They play the Brewers twice. The magic number is five. Like the Brewers could win out and they'd be at 92 wins. Okay. The Cardinals could go four and seven, which would be dreadful. We'd be talking about a lot of things negative for the Cardinals the rest of the way. And they would be at 92 wins. Now this year, there's no game 163. Here's the way the tiebreaker works in this upcoming two game series. Like right now, the Cardinals, the first tiebreaker is head-to-head record, and the Cardinals have that tiebreaker over the Brewers. However, if they lose two games against the Brewers, they will not, and they've got two left. They play 19 on the season, I believe. Right now, the Cardinals are 9-8. and eight. So if you lose two, you're 9-10. and 10. The Brewers would have the tiebreaker. As long as the Cardinals win one of those two games, there's really not a lot left to talk about because, first of all, they'd have the tiebreaker over Milwaukee at that point because they'd at worst, be 10-9 and against them on the season. And then you actually have to physically count that for the Cardinals and against Milwaukee. So let's say the Cardinals win one of two against the Brewers. That puts the Brewers to 71 losses at a minimum. That means they can only get to 91 wins. It would put the Cardinals to 89 wins at a minimum. They could not lose more than, what would be, 73 games at that point. Just assuming they get one against Milwaukee. If that happens, you would just need two more wins if you're the Cardinals. Like the magic number would be down to two, not three, because even though it's five right now, in a win mathematically would 
detract it by two to three, the Cardinals would have a tiebreaker. So you could go ahead and say it's two as long as they get one against Milwaukee. And then that would mean the other 10 games for the Cardinals and the other 11 games for the Brewers, all you would need is a combined one loss from the Brewers, one win from the Cardinals, or two wins from the Cardinals, or two losses from the Brewers. Like it, As long as you don't get swept by the Brewers, there's literally, I'm not going to say literally no way, there's virtually no way to lose the division at that point. So for as bad as it's been this week, everybody just relax. Now, if you do lose both those games, we can talk about that as well. The Brewers would, I mean, you, you would know the magic number. It's still five, and you wouldn't have the tiebreaker, so it would remain five. You wouldn't get the, the, the cheapie, the freebie. You'd have to have a combination of five Cardinals wins, Brewers losses, and it gets more difficult to guarantee the Brewers losses when you're not playing the Brewers. So that's going to be an important two-game set for the Cardinals to at least sweep coming up after this Dodgers series. But to just make sure you got this one, they're running out of time on the calendar, guys. And they'd have, I mean, winning out would be insane for the Brewers. They could win out, and they still probably wouldn't have enough. They get to 92. Granted, in that case, the Cardinals would need to get to 93. But that's just five out of their last 11. That's still, like, the Cardinals could have a losing record the rest of the way and still outmuscle a Brewers team that wins out their final 15 or whatever because they've already won a few in a row. Or maybe they lost earlier this week. Doesn't matter. Cardinals are going to win this division. That's the bottom line. Yes, the offense needs to get going before long, though, because it hasn't been great recently. Part of the reason it hasn't been great recently, if you've got guys in your lineup who aren't hitting. Obviously, that sounds like an oversimplification, but I'm talking about Corey Dickerson in particular, who I think his streak is extended to like 0 for 16, 0 for 17. At this point in time, over the last seven games, he's 1 for 22. It's an 0.45 average. 045 on base, 045 slug. Last 15 games, he's hitting 222, and you know that he doesn't really walk or slug. So the fact that he's got a 236 on base and a 296 slug over the last 15 games should not be a surprise. It's an OPS in the 500s, that 520 range. It's not what you want. 532. I stand corrected. Still not what you want. Last 30 games, it looks better because he had that ridiculously hot stretch prior to the last couple few weeks, but it's gotten to a point now where, and it's always been this case defensively, that Corey Dickerson is just not, he's won a gold glove in the past. No offense, I I don't really know how. He doesn't look ever comfortable to me in the outfield. He's not a plus defender in any regard. So you're not gaming there. You're you're losing in your lineup depending on who else you'd put out there. Like Juan Yepes, they might be about comparable, but Yepes I still feel like has, has the ability to go make a play that sometimes Dickerson, it just doesn't, it doesn't always look right to me in the outfield. If he's hitting, that's great, but now he's not. And so he doesn't need to be a fixture in your lineup, but the guy that does is Dylan Carlson. That's the name that I've been teasing this entire episode. Dylan Carlson needs to play every single day. I know that his numbers this season against right-handed pitching have been very, very dismal, but I don't even care. Because if you're talking about the upside of Carlson versus Dickerson, it's very clear at this point, especially when Dickerson's getting the opportunity and he's not hitting. If he's not giving you offense, he doesn't give you defense, I don't really understand the point of it on an everyday basis. Go ahead and see if Dylan can capture lightning in a bottle against righties because that's the thing you're looking for to get this Cardinals offense to accelerate to the next level. Like right now, you don't have Dylan because he's struggled against righties all year and so they've turned him into more of a platoon player. You don't have Tyler O'Neill because he's on the injured list. Hopefully they can get him back before the playoffs. But that's like pretty significant in terms of detracting from your outfield. Newt Barr is 
hit and miss, but he's had a very solid season overall. So, yeah, he stays in there. He plays good defense. But for me, when you're not scoring runs right now, and Dickerson's part of the reason he was in the five-hole today, had conversations with people about, well, Albert, if he had been bumped up in the lineup a little bit, Cardinals might have scored runs even earlier in that game following the hits by Goldsmith and Arenado. Yeah, that's possibly true. Can't really butterfly affect it and say that because Pujols got a hit to lead off the next inning that it would have been the same. Obviously, he would have been pitched differently. But, like, I, I can't disagree with the the sentiment that Albert probably needs to be batting up a little bit higher in the lineup. I think part of it was maybe Ollie trying to get him between some left-handed batters so that maybe there's a late game spot where San Diego decides we'll go with a lefty reliever and Albert might get lucky and be kind of sandwiched in between. Or, if nothing else, they don't make that decision and the lefties around Albert get to face righties, which is a more favorable matchup for them. So it does help your lineup on the aggregate. That being said, Corey Dickerson has just not been performing in a way that would suggest batting fifth in the order. So I'm not batting him fifth, and I wouldn't be really batting him. I would be having Dylan Carlson play every single day, and and Dickerson is kind of back to the bench because what Dylan does offensively, it's a bonus at this point to me. It's in there somewhere, and you hope that he finds it, but if he doesn't, he can make the same number of outs as Dickerson has made, 1 for 22, 0 for 17, whatever it's been, and he can also play like gold glove center field. That's the thing that Dickerson cannot do. And Ben Deluzio has played good defense. If you if you want to have it go that way and give him more run or give Burleson more run in the corner outfield, that's fine. Pair him with Carlson and pair him with Newpar. I would I would have Dylan as the everyday guy moving forward just because I I think the guy that you're putting in instead hasn't been doing it offensively lately. We gotta catch up to the reality of the moment. And it's just it's been a struggle for Dickerson. And that's hard for me to justify when defensively I know that you've got a much better option that couldn't do any worse at the plate, so you might as well make that swap. Albert Pujols over the last seven games, just the one home run. It's been a little while since we've seen him hit one. But even in that stretch, 5 for 21, three walks, 238 batting average, 360 on base percentage, and a 381 slug for an OPS of 741. I just bring that up to say that even when things have not been going well in the homer department and the entire team has really struggled mightily offensively, Albert has still been like, like fine. So it's just amazing. I just wanted to lump a little bit more praise onto Pujols for the way that he's been playing this season. It's been ridiculous. Let's see him get to 700. I think there could be some extra juice for this uh, Dodgers series for Albert, considering uh, he played there last season. He really seemed to enjoy that. That was uh, kind of what rejuvenated his career at first, before the trip to St. Louis, before he got on with the Cardinals and and refound his stroke after the All-Star break. You remember last year, the trade, or it wasn't really so much a trade, uh, I believe the Angels released him and the Dodgers signed him. Before that happened, he was really struggling with the Angels. It seemed like it might be the end. He goes to L.A. for the Dodgers and suddenly is finding it. They're playing him against lefties. It's working out really well. Uh, he definitely rejuvenated himself a little bit last year, so I think this could be a good week for Albert. Let's see him get one, and then maybe he saves it for uh, that Pirate series in St. Louis, 700. What do you say? I think it's possible, and I don't worry yet about Albert not getting to 700. I'm still almost virtually a lock that he gets there because unless he gets hurt, that's always the caveat, but six games against Pittsburgh, the end of the season, like three at Bush, front of the home fans, three at PNC where he's got more home runs than any other park that he's not been a home player in, like that's a good add up for Albert Pujols to get to 700 one way or another, so I feel good about it. And how can you not feel good about where things stand right now for the Cardinals? I know that the week has been a little bit iffy. Look at the standings. Remind yourself that things are going to be okay. 
and uh, probably forget the idea of passing the, the Mets and the Braves in the East, but that doesn't matter. You're going to get that wild card series at home at Bush. Yes, we're going to have to have some conversations about who starts in those games because for a while, it seemed like Adam Wainwright and Michaelis was the lock. Michaelis looked very good on Wednesday, but he could not pitch Blake Snell, who darn near threw a no-hitter for San Diego. But Michaelis, that was good to see from him. I know we didn't do a podcast last night, but big to see from him. He's still one of my first two starters. Is Wainwright? That's going to have to be the question, and I think it's going to have to boil down to whether or not his arm is where it needs to be. And that's maybe something only Adam Wainwright can answer. So I hope, and I and I do believe it to be the case, that if Wainwright doesn't feel he's in his peak physical form and ability to contribute, team's going to find that out. He's going to let them know and say, yeah, I'm I'm not the guy that should have the ball in game one. Now, as long as he's serviceable, I think up until the playoffs begin, he's probably going to be the guy for one of those first two games at home. If he's going to pitch in the rotation at all, which, again, unless Flaherty's knocking down the door, which so far so good, this was a good step in that direction, but he's got to get the walks down. Uh, Quintana continuing to, to push for an opportunity. Montgomery's looked good. I don't know how much of a chance they'll give to Dakota Hudson, although he was activated from the taxi squad, so we'll see what his role looks like in the next couple of weeks. But, like, in general, unless there's guys just beating down the door to be obvious in that top four, you want probably Wainwright to pitch in the home games because that's where he's going to be at his best. So I don't necessarily have a problem with it at this point, but it's going to depend on really how he looks and feels leading up to that. So... That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Thank you guys so much for sticking with me. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.